1: hello and welcome to yet another Godpod. here we are the um, same old voices that you've heard many times before there's uh, me graham
2: and me jane and me michael although they may not have heard us before at all they may be, is, tu- maybe they may be rookies tuning in for the me. first time Quite in which case, welcome and our voices are not that old.
0: But we hope you will become very accustomed to them. We <laughs> yeah. do
1: indeed, indeed, because there are lots of these GodPods you will discover as you l- look into the... Catalogue, archives. The archives. ...of the past. So um, anyway, we are um, launching into uh, um, another God Pod, and um, well, this one is coming out in 2017. Uh, this is a quite an important year in the history of the um, Church, because of course it is the, the 500th anniversary of the beginning of the Reformation. Because it was on October the thirty-first, fifteen seventeen, that Martin Luther, who was uh, living in Wittenberg at the time, um, well, he was supposed to have nailed ninety-five theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg. He never actually said he nailed them. He actually didn't, he. No, no, no! Not disappointing, Graham. It is rather disappointing. I'm sorry to dis- dis- disillusion always you. Always
0: thought of a tin tack, you know. Exactly.
1: Well, <laughs> did he
2: put it on a website, or what, what, what did he <laughs>
1: do? T- he tweeted them one by one. You know. <laughs> no, well, he actually, what he said he did is that he, um, he actually wrote a letter to his archbishop, um, Albrecht of Mainz, and he wrote a letter with these ninety-five theses. Um, then later on, Melanchthon, his great friend and colleague, told the story that he actually nailed them to the door and of course the door was the was the the notice board it was the academic notice board of the university it's a rather odd thing to do you know nail something to a door but anyway the door the door was the notice board of the university and he was saying I want these theses debated so whether he nailed them or not we don't really know I, I like to think he did because it's much more fun that sort of As version. a
2: bishop you must get used to people sending you huge screens of theological arguments. Nailing things on my door, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, yes, hard, occasionally. Sink, <laughs> exactly. they? they do slightly. That's right. Well, he, uh, I think I'll uh, my heart, sank probably at the time as well. But um, anyway, this was the event that um, slightly accidentally sparked off the Reformation. So uh, we're celebrating that this year, um, 500 years since that event. So we thought we'd do a GodPod on um, on Martin Luther. Is that, and, is that um,
2: part of our series on heresies, Graham? Uh, we will see. We will see.
1: <laughs> yes, I have to defend my friend Martin Luther. Yes. I can see him. <laughs> so, as, so as yeah.
0: So tell us about these 95 theses. Um, preferably not one by one. Yeah. <laughs> Just give us a sort of general overview. <laughs>
1: Well, they were. Um, the official title is "95 Theses on the Abuse of Indulgences," and indulgences was a practice in the late medieval church where um, the idea was that you know when you when you died you went to, to purgatory and um, you spent many many years in purgatory until the point where you were purified and, and able to then enter into heaven itself. And, purg- and and indulgences were basically a kind of certificate that gave you time off purgatory it was um either time off purgatory or 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 a relaxation of the temporal punishments of the church the idea would you go to a priest a priest would say well you are forgiven you're absolved on the condition that you perform certain actions satisfactions they were called or penances you know say some prayers or go on a pilgrimage or buy it or do, do whatever um and so originally indulgences were actions. You know, you would have, have to do certain things. You know, say your prayers or whatever, uh, and then you would receive this remission of, of of the of the temporal punishments of the church. In other words, the penances you had to do. Um, it then got applied to this kind of purgatory. It then got to the point where you could pay a donation. You know, pay a donation to the to the to the pap- papacy to the to the um, and in return for that you could get time off purgatory. And by this stage, Luther wasn't alone in thinking this was a little bit dodgy. This is a bit um, strange, and so uh, he, he he protested against this practice.
2: Although I imagine the development office of, <laughs> yeah. the, of the papacy <laughs> thought yeah. it was a fabulous idea. <laughs> well, it was.
1: It was a very good fundraising wheeze, actually. Yes. And
0: um, is that a very Protestant spin you just put on indulgences? I mean, was was there um, was it you do this and you will be forgiven, or was? Was it you are so grateful for the forgiveness of God that you do this to show how contrite you are?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the penitential system was, was basically all about, you know, well, you know, you sin and, the, and then you, you end, you, you, you're meant to be contrite for your sin. You go to a priest, you confess your sin. The priest pronounces absolution or God's absolution. So the priest isn't absolving you. But of course, the question is, you know, are you really serious about this? Uh, and often penances were applied to show that you genuinely were, either to show that you genuinely were sorry for your sins and that you you weren't it wasn't just cheap grace, um, or to make restitution. You know, if you'd offended someone, you had to go and say sorry. So that's kind of originally where the, the idea of penance came from, which you can see is a very, very very kind of good idea. I suppose when it got to the point of, you know, what felt like and seemed like sort of forgiveness in return for money, yeah. that's when, and it wasn't, Luther, it wasn't only Luther who was complaining against it, a, lot, a number of other theologians did as well. So... Um, so he writes these ninety-five theses, and it's quite interesting because they're, they're when you read them, they're not much. There's not much about what the kind of normal doctrines of the Reformation that you think. There's nothing much about the you know authority of the Bible. There's not much about justification by faith. Uh, it's really a protest against what he thinks is cheap grace. He thinks actually that repentance is 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 a, is a kind of rigorous thing. It actually implies a real transformation of life, and if instead indulgences are offering a rather sort of cheap means of grace by means of you know giving a donation paying a bit of money and then, then uh, rather than undergoing the, the kind of deep um, uh, life of of repentance that's where the whole thing begins you know it says the the first words you know the christian life is a life of repentance that's what it is isn't saying. there
2: also a sense that um, it's about the love of god doesn't he talk about how the, the love of god if god could forgive us um he, he would do it without yeah. being bought off for it. Sure. Yeah. Um yeah. So the, it's it's all there is a kind of really theological point as well. Sure.
1: Yeah. But yeah, there is, I mean there is that sense in it. But I mean, what you don't find is the developed theology of yeah. of the reformation. The reformation and yeah. his his particularly more developed theology of justification by faith. Um and the centrality of Christ and the word of promise and so on, which develops a little bit later on, which is kind of interesting in a way because, you know, the Reformation starts in 1517, at a time when Luther's theology is still being, still evolving. It hasn't really got to the sort of full, it's not like he's worked it all out and then thinks, right, we'll have a Reformation. As I say, it was a slightly accidental thing. He just thought this was a His evolving theology, in particular, seemed to think made him think this was a a particularly pernicious practice and was really leading people in the wrong way. It was leading people to trust in the wrong thing, Um, and therefore he protests against them. And again, he's not the first to do that, Um, but he accidentally trod on a bit of a landmine because um, the uh, the indulgence that was being sold in the in the territory around where he was living in Wittenbergs, was one where the money um, raised by this indulgence sale was by a slightly roundabout route going back to uh, to pay off the debts of his archbishop. Um, <laughs> Whoops. Exactly. And so the archbishop <laughs> thinks, hang on a minute, if, if I can't sell this indulgence, I can't pay off my debts, which is why, of course, he then forwards the 95 Theses to Rome and says, you know, please can you sort out this rather crazy monk in, in, in Germany? And then it all kind of gets out of hand.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because you sort of you can't help thinking, okay, supposing everybody had said when they'd read these, theses, yeah, of course, that's absolutely right. We need to fix this. Hmm. Would that have been the end of the Reformation?
1: Well, it's very, it's very interesting. When I mean, could have been. I mean, I, I think. Well, it would have been. It would have been the Reformation,
2: wouldn't it? Yeah. In the sense that it would have reformed the church,
0: it would have reformed that practice, yeah, but, particular practice. but as yes. Graham says, the, the great themes yes. that one thinks of as the Reformation themes—yeah—would they ever have emerged? Were yeah. they um, on the I bubble mean, already?
1: It is one of the great ifs of history. I mean, I, I suspect probably they would have emerged anyway, because I think Luther was on a trajectory at that point. There are already things that are happening in his theology that are leading towards his sort of fuller, sort of mature theology that, 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 that was saying something quite different. And I suppose the key thing about Luther's protest at the time was was not so much about particular practices there were lots of people saying you know all oh, the church is corrupt and you know okay. clergy aren't very well trained and they're not preaching very good sermons or you know
0: Plus pe- <laughs>
1: exactly you know, or you know people are getting ecclesiastical positions just because of they're related to the this person or that person um so there were lots of uh, abuses that people are aware of but I think the key thing Luther is saying that, unlike everybody else who's saying, "Well, we need to, you know, deepen the spiritual life of the church. We need to pray more, or you know, we need to kind of reform some of the sort of moral abuses," I think Luther thought there was a fundamental theological problem in the church, and so that's why his reform is what he would say a reform of the word, rather than a reform of practices and abuses.
0: And of course, um, long before Luther, there was already a building. Uh, desire to translate scripture, and f- mm. for mm. the Bible to be more available
2: for more people. Yeah, uh, where John Wycliffe, of course, of, after whom my exactly. college is named, um, was was key in that. Sure. Not that there weren't translations of bits of the Bible before mm. into mm. Old mm. English, yep. but he does a complete translation from the Latin.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, and, that's, and it's
2: seen in many ways as a forerunner yeah. of the Reformation. Mm.
1: Sure, yeah. And Luther always felt actually that the, the most important thing he did, funnily enough, was actually his translation of the Bible. Mm. And in fact, you could say probably the most influential document that came out of the sorry, the German Reformation was Luther's German Bible. What happened is in 1521 when he was, by this time he'd been excommunicated by the Pope, he'd been um, under the imperial ban, he was basically confined um, and and he he was sort of hidden away by his his um, kind of elec- the the elector Frederick who was the in charge of the territory where he lived he was hidden away in this castle called the Wartburg up in Eisenach and he was bored stiff and um, um, didn't know what to do with himself and so he started to translate the Bible and what he, what he does is he translates it, not 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 from the Latin but of course he goes back to Greek and Hebrew. Uh, original texts, which were now available because of the rise of sort of Renaissance humanism and the kind of interest in original texts. And he starts translating the Bible into German from Greek and Hebrew. So that's the one first thing he does, because many of the earlier German Bibles had been translated from the Bible. So any mistakes in the Latin got, you know, handed on into the German. But the other thing he does is is he translates in a very different way from, say, the King James Bible does. King James Bible is very keen to translate it in it, exactly as it it can do you know word for word as far as possible from the from the original luther's not bothered at that at all he translated it in a very idiomatic way he actually says what you really need if you want to be a translator of the bible is not so much a great knowledge of greek or hebrew but a really good knowledge of german so in other words you need to know good idiomatic german because he wants to say, yeah, you know I want to make isaiah speak like a german farmer actually so that people can understand it and so it 's a very idiomatic translation it 's one that's, that's, um, that he's, he feels often quite free to depart from the original text just to kind of convey the power of the idea in the orig- in the kind of language of the people who, who are listening to it
2: that, I mean that kind of reminds one of T- william Tyndale's great English yeah. translator of the Bible his comment about wanting people to know more of the, the, the average the plowboy yeah. uh, in the field to know the Bible better than the mm bishops and prelates. Um, yep. Was there a, a social dimension to the Reformation as well? Was there a desire to to make it available to to working people in a way that hmm. had not been felt to be the case before?
1: I mean, very, very much so. And I often think Luther is a, is a master at... He's a master at the use of new technology. I think it's fascinating. The 16th century, of course, is a time very similar to ours that in the previous... You know, 1,500 years, there's been this this, this radical transformation in, in, in communication, the invention of printing. So that before that, every book had to be written out by hand. Now you could make mass production copies of any text. And actually in the 1520s, um, in that decade, 1520s, 30% of the books published in German, Germany were by Luther. Good gracious. Um, he absolutely dominated mm. the whole world. It's like, you know, the Internet. Dominated by one person. Imagine thirty percent of the internet written by one person. That's the kind of impact that he had. Mm. Probably not, not, not a good thing necessarily to think w- of that.
2: Well, I, yes, I remember somebody saying of the internet that uh, it used to be thought that a million monkeys writing for a million years would produce the complete works of Shakespeare. So yep. the internet has disproved this. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: true. That's right. But I think it, you know, it is. He was someone who, who you know, shamelessly used. kind of modern technology and that the reformation spread through small pamphlets written by people like luther and others that were produced very cheaply and were sold in marketplaces and people read them and often they had pictures and people think often you know the reformation is just a wordy thing but a lot of these these little pamphlets had pictures woodcuts cartoons some of them very kind of rude about the pope and about other people and so on um, or rude about, about about luther and these things spread widely and luther used that and he he managed to find a a voice to speak in the common language that i often think you know we're not very good at in the church today really we somehow we're a bit too highbrow sometimes we're a bit you know he wasn't that bothered about being highbrow so in fact what he did early on in 1520 is to decide rather than speaking in the latin which was the the language of the scholar the church and so on which a tiny proportion of people actually understood and read he decides to write in German. So from that time onwards, most of his writings are actually in German, not in Latin. And then this very idiomatic German, which actually always makes him interesting to read.
0: And obviously, we take it for granted that being able to read the Bible ourselves is an absolute basic of, of hmm. Christian life. But why did Luther think that? I mean, it was such a, a strange idea at the time. Hmm. I mean, was it connected to the fact that clergy were on the whole not very well trained, not very well educated, not not able to preach well. Mm. Why did Luther think that people needed access?
2: Or Was it to the partly also because he felt that the the translations that were being used were part of the problem mm-hmm. and teaching for instance translating repentance as metanoia yeah. as, as yeah. penance yeah. and therefore perpetuating an abuse within
1: yeah. the system Yeah I mean I, I, I think it's actually because of his own experience because what happened to Luther of course was that he, you know, he was brought up with theology of late medieval christianity and a particular an understanding of salvation which seemed to imply and obviously it's much more technical than this but it seemed to imply that you know that the process starts with our turning towards god in some way that you know salvation begins when we turn towards god i know no late medieval theologian believed that in justification by works, in the sense that you could somehow earn your way to heaven without the help of God, everyone believed that God had to help. would help Pelagians exactly, and they're not stupid. They're not Pelagians, so they they all say this that there's you know there's there's a kind of you know combination a bit of God, a bit of us, a bit of um, you know um, we do our bit, God does his bit, and we get saved in the end. And I think that and the difference I think is that most you know there are different forms of soteriology in late medieval. Europe but pretty well all of them said that salvation is granted or justification is granted at the end of the day on the basis of a of an internal transformation within yourself you know grace enters into you enables you to perform works that are meritorious enables you to become good and at the end of that process where you have become good at the end of this life and purgatory and so on then God can justify you so in other words you are justified on the basis of of your own merits but not your not just your own merits merits as as sort of inspired by by God's grace, so you can't. It's not just our own; it's it's God Himself. Um, and I think what the big thing that Luther did was to say, actually, no, no, we're not justified on the basis of any internal growth in holiness or goodness at all. No, we are justified on the basis of the merits of Christ. So we were talking about an alien righteousness, you know, the righteousness of another, um, and that that righteousness, that gift of Christ to us, is received not by somehow earning it, but by by faith. Now that is that is a message that I think he he thought he discovered in the Bible. Um, And I think that's why he he found this an incredibly liberating thing that um, all his doubts about, you know, had I had I done enough? You know, was my contrition strong enough? You know, was I sorry enough for my sins? Had I confessed all my sins? Are there secret sins that I don't know about that, you know, God is going to condemn me for? You know, is God on my side. Does he really like me? And what about those experiences where God seems absent and and distant and, and far away? Now, this message that it's actually not about his own goodness and the power of his faith or anything like that, it's actually about the gift of Christ to him. That is a message he found in the Bible. I think that's why he wanted everyone to read the Bible. And
2: and there is something absolutely counterintuitive but but compelling about the fact that it is acceptance that transforms us, Hmm. not that we have to be transformed before we're accepted. And I think psychologically people... Expect that they have to change in order to accept, they have to make themselves acceptable to yep. other people, yep. and therefore they assume the same with God. And yep.
0: indeed, quite a lot of Protestant and evangelical spirituality does seem to go back to that the way you described the medieval situation, which is that we have to be converted, we have to, to turn yeah. towards Christ before yeah. we yeah. are accepted.
1: Yeah, there's a st- statement that he makes in 1518 um, where he says, um, sinners are not loved because they're attractive they are attractive because they are loved and i think that goes right to the heart of what of what luther says that so, you know a lot of late medieval spirituality a lot of actually you know popular christianity sort of says that you know god god loves you because you're attractive somehow because you're good because you're holy because you say your prayers because you you have a strong faith and you go to church god loves you because of that and actually luther turns it around and said no it's the other way around you become attractive once you grasp you are deeply loved, and it's like, a, it's like a stone being put into the into the sun. The stone gradually becomes warm, and and, uh, and we become more whole and and satisfied and nourished and attractive people once we grasp in the deepest sense of us, you know, parts of our being that we are we are truly loved, and that's and, and, and the heart of what Luther was trying to say.
2: Dynamic within. Good human development don't you Your parents love Is the yeah. environment that draws out All that is yeah. good and secure and
1: yeah. Which is why Luther always wants to say uh, It's God who makes the first move not us We don't turn to God And then God says okay well I'll give you my grace And help you to become good God makes the first move towards us I
2: think it's absolutely Central and transformative But how How new was it? I suppose I, I was A bit Surprise when I went to a, 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 a serum rite mass once. Mm. Um, to which is a medieval, the, which is a medieval is the medi- English. Yes, the pre Reformation yep. yep. English church yep. a liturgy for a communion service. Yep. And I heard the phrase, not weighing our merits, but pardoning mm. our offenses, mm. which mm. I has assumed was, mm. was Reformation mm. polemic mm. from Cranmer's uh, yep. prayer book. And, and it wasn't. It was there in the medieval church's yep. liturgy. Yep. So was it that they had kind of lost what they knew mm. Mm. and got wandered away from it or mm. what? What's going on though?
1: Yeah, I mean, there is a sense of that. I, I don't think Luther thought for a moment that he was somehow rediscovering a gospel that St. Paul had taught and had been lost from the early church onwards.
0: Because right. he acknowledged it was there in Augustine, didn't oh, he? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It was
1: there in Augustine. It was there even in people like Bernard of Clairvaux, mm. you know, writing a few hundred years before. There was a sense in, in in Luther, I think, that that he felt that there had been certain developments in late medieval theology that, is, that had somehow lost Exclusive. the plot. Exactly, and actually, it's interesting that a lot of modern Roman Catholic readings of Luther would say much the same. Now mm-hmm. that they would recognise that he had a point, mm-hmm. because actually there are some parts of late medieval theology that have become semi-pelagian. they would become kind of implying that you know it's basically down to us at the end of the day. And so, um, so I think there is a sense that that yes, it was that the church had forgotten something that was that was there. And although I, well, I think if there is a change, it is this thing that that even that language, you know, not weighing our merits but pardoning our offences. Yes, but you could still read that in a sense of, well, you know, God overlooks our offences. Um, uh, but what it doesn't say is, that, is the key thing that Luther says is this business of, you know, we, we are justified by the merits of Christ, that actually justification is granted not on the basis of an internal process of change, which is one of the points where he actually differs a bit from Augustine, I think. he, he um Although he Still thought he was the same as Augustine. Um, but he actually wants to say, no, no, we, we, we are justified when we place our trust in another, not in the power of our contrition, not even in the power of our faith. And that, this, I think, is another misunderstanding people have of, of Luther. They think it's all about, you know, how strong is my faith? And this is, a, this is where I think John Henry Newman slightly misunderstood Luther. He had this critique of Luther. He said, well, you know, if you believe Luther's thing, all you end up doing is wondering, you know, is my faith strong enough? Mm. You know,
0: and you can't pay an indulgence and be sure that it is exactly. So you are actually right. in a worse position than you were before. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: but I think actually the problem is that Newman is reacting to a, a sort of post Kantian Luther because after mm-hmm. you know in the eighteenth eighteenth nineteenth century the the vision of Luther that people had was influenced by you know Immanuel Kant's turn to the sort of subjective. And people tended to emphasise what Luther said about, you know, the faith, the conscience. This was all about the sort of individual standing up and the power of the individual. It was all about the strength of faith. Actually, in some ways Luther's not really that interested in faith. He's actually interested in Christ. Because the point is that, you know, we are justified. Actually, not by faith, not by the power of my faith. That's not what justifies me. It's Christ. Faith is simply the means by which Christ is received.
0: So justification by faith is not a good shorthand.
1: Well, I often thought that. I think it's not a good shorthand for two reasons. One, because it implies that it's my faith that justifies me, and it's not. It's Christ who justifies me, Um, and Christ is given to me, not just revealed to me, but given to me, uh, and I receive Christ by faith. I think the other reason why it, it can be misleading is because it sounds like it's saying justification by faith. In other words... If you believe certain things, you know, I believe in God, I believe in the Trinity, I believe in the Atonement, and so on, I tick these boxes in the Creed, therefore God justifies me because I believe these things. And uh, I think perhaps a better translation of that phrase, justitia fide, would be actually justification by trust. Because it's a very profoundly personal thing for Luther that we place our trust in Christ, in God's gift of Christ to us. And it is that profoundly personal trust that he means rather than just objective belief in the in the, the items of the creed
2: so there's, a, there's a, he's an a absolutely extraordinary figure in in European history, world history and and I think you're suggesting rediscovery of the priority of grace that that it is his being loved and accepted that mm-hmm. transforms us. Mm-hmm. Not us who have to work that up. Mm. Um, secondly, that there's a rediscovery of the other of person of Christ and the centrality of Christ mm. in in that, and thirdly, rediscovery of the Scriptures mm. in mm. that in people's own language. And we probably ought to look a little bit at the negative sides, mm-hmm. yeah, because being a human being, yeah. he wasn't perfect. Yeah, um, and I suppose two come to mind. One. One is the division of the church, which is not entirely his doing, but it, it does happen, a further fragmentation of the church after the divide between East and West in the 11th century. And secondly, um, a, a certain hint of anti-Semitism.
1: More than a hint, <laughs> has to be said.
2: Yeah.
1: I think that's, that's absolutely right. I think when um, I mean, you look back on the Reformation, I mean, it's an important point to make that Luther never left the church. No. He yep. never. You de- never wanted to set up a separate denomination, a separate movement. He wanted to reform it from within. It's clearly, at the time of the 95 Theses, he's writing this, thinking, well, this is a few kind of, you know, mistaken indulgence sellers, and you know, when the Pope really reals- realizes what's going on, he'll change it. And he was quite surprised the fact that that, that actually, you know, papal theologians who, who argued with him said, actually, no, Luther, you know, it's, it's there in the councils' teaching. It's there in the teaching of the councils. And actually, they were right. Um, He has this debate with um, Johannes Eck, one of the papal theologians in 1519, where Eck basically wins the argument by basically saying, look, it's there. Here we are, the Council of Constance. There is this teaching on indulgences. And Luther realizes that, actually, yes, he has been teaching something that's different from what the church teaches. But that sets up a problem for Luther because he thinks actually the Bible is saying one thing and a council is saying another. And he thinks, well, that's where I think where the origins of his importance of the authority of Scripture goes to. Because he says, well, at the end of the day... If you've got to trust in something, do you trust in the word of the Bible or the word of God in the scripture or do you trust in the in the council? So um um sorry, that's a bit of a detour there, but but I think what what that is saying is that you know, you look back on it in one sense with a sense of admiration for Luther and what he did, but also as there's a sense of tragedy about it as well, because the split in the church is not something that he wanted. Um he was thrown out of the church. But he then responded not in exactly the most kind way to his <laughs> opponents, um, and you can understand. Maybe you can understand why. I mean, he. I think he felt that, you know, he, he felt that somehow, you know, that somehow the gospel had been rediscovered. The gospel of the grace, the love of God that, that, that addresses us, God's free gift of Christ to us, received by faith. Now he felt, and I genuinely felt, I think, when he he arrived at this that, oh, you know, everyone will believe this. Because it, it's such a liberating message, and he was deeply shocked that actually did, the church didn't seem to take this on, and um, and even worse, there was this institution at the heart of the church, the papacy, that seemed to be trying to silence what he thought was the gospel, which is why he started using the language of, you know, the pope is the antichrist and all of that, which didn't go down too well, as you can imagine. Did it not? Um, no, strangely enough. <laughs> so you know, he could be he could be quite quite vindictive in his language. He could be quite sort of cutting in his language. Um, so there is the split in the church, which um, has taken a long time to heal. I mean, there's, there's really good work that's been done between Lutherans and Catholics. In 1999, came to a kind of common understanding of, of, of justification, even though there are different emphases in it. Um, and the other thing is his writings on the Jews, which towards the end of his life were were bitter and horrible. Um, early in his life, he was quite positive. He wrote something called "On the," called uh, that Jesus was born a Jew, emphasizing the Jewishness of Jesus. Um, he was. Uh, on the side of Reuchlin, this um, um, someone who's arguing that, that that we should use Hebrew scholars, Jewish scholars, to establish the text of the Old Testament. But as he went on, he was disappointed by the fact that Jews weren't converted, that he thought they would be. Uh, and when he heard that Jews were trying to convert Christians back to Judaism, he got very angry and he wrote some pretty nasty things about the Jews. Now, I don't think there's anything you can do to defend him against that. And in some ways, I, I, I almost think of it as something like, that um, says, you know, you, you can't raise your theological heroes too high. Mm. You can admire their theology, but that doesn't mean that everything they say is necessarily right and proper and good. And, of course, what he said about the Jews was able to be reused by Adolf Hitler in much mm. more pernicious and sinister ways more recently.
0: It's, um, it's interesting to see the um, the dynamic between... Um, a. a somebody who's really pointing out the flaws in an institution and the way an institution reacts. It's very uh, difficult for an institution to hear and change, mm. isn't mm. it? Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that all churchgoers, you know, small C and capital C, need to, to think about. When yeah. we are attacked, mm. um, our instinct is always to defend, mm. not first mm. Mm. To try and to hear say and to what, what, what yeah.
2: is true about uh, yeah. about this that we yeah. could must learn from. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. 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 And there were others at the time making similar kinds of statements. Sometimes within the Catholic Church, it was the particular configuration of events, as I was saying earlier on, that led to this particular conflict between Luther and the papal church. Um, and I suppose that you know the, the, the sharpness of, of his expression of his, his ideas, which can be a good thing and a bad thing too. Mm. So do we
0: celebrate the Reformation, Graham, or do we? Uh, is it um, something that we are sad about mm. or a combination thereof? How should we approach the yeah, Reformation very, celebrations this It's year? a very interesting yeah. question,
1: and I think um, lots of people have been thinking, and how do we, what, what word do we use? Do we celebrate, lament? Mm. Is there repentance involved? Is there commemoration? I think it's all of those things, actually. I think there are aspects of it we want to, to celebrate. Um, the, you know, as many Catholic theologians would now say that Luther had, you know, he had grasped something about the priority of, of, of faith over works, the priority, priority of grace over over human action, um, and that there was something essential that he'd found. That actually, you know, when you think about it, faith, trust is at the heart of any human relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, any human, if it hasn't got trust, mm-hmm. it, you can't do anything. You know, the best human relationships are relationships that are profoundly built on trust. And that has to be also true of our relationship with God. It's not ultimately about, you know, he rewards us for what we do. It's, it's, it's as if he says to us, you know, it's not your goodness I want, it's your trust. The goodness can come later. And so I think there's, there is that to celebrate. There is quite a lot to repent of. I think there was a lot that was said and done in the heat of the moment on both sides of the Reformation that with hindsight you think, well, oh, that wasn't really very helpful. It wasn't healing. It wasn't um, godly and kind. Um, there's a lot to commemorate. Uh, in terms of remembering a sig- really significant event that has has been massively important in the history of of, of the world, I mean there are now what nine hundred million cr- Protestants in the world. Uh, that's inexplicable apart from that event on the thirty first of October, fifteen seventeen. So in some ways, you could argue, argue Luther was one of the most influential people in the entire the last millennium. So there's a lot to commemorate there, um, and. Um, I think there's a lot to to to, to, to ponder for the future because I think one of the big questions the Reformation sets for us is, you know, at a time of great social change, a great time of great sort of technological um, revolution, you know, what does the church need to do? How does it need to reform itself? How does it need to change uh, in order to be able to speak the the kind of ancient christian faith in a new context and i think that's the kind of question we need to start thinking well we do think all the time but to go on thinking about it in our day because there are some real similarities between our day and the 16th century and i sadly hope, sadly hope that this year while we're pondering the reformation it won't just be a looking backwards it'll also be looking forward as to what the reformation has to teach us about how we are trying to be faithful in our day
2: he he would have made the most fabulous Godpod guest, wouldn't he? Wouldn't he just?
1: I <laughs> know. Oh, I can imagine him sitting there with his black hat on. Yes. Drinking his beer, probably. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we'd have got a word in edgeways, but I do think so. But <laughs> he, probably wouldn't have minded. And he, and he probably wouldn't have agreed half the time. <laughs> no. He wasn't very good at agreeing with people that <laughs> disagreed with him. But um, anyway, there is Martin Luther. Just a little bit of a taste of um, some ponderings on it. We might come back to him again at another time. Yes,
2: indeed.
0: We have got a whole year. In, uh, we have indeed. Yeah. Remembering the Reformation.
1: So it's uh, goodbye from all of us. I um, hope you've enjoyed this Godpod on Martin Luther, and um, we will uh, no doubt um, be back again before long to another Godpod. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.
0: That was Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.